0: Amen. Thanks, Tanya. Good job. How are we doing? Yeah, you're the faithful ones that came here before spring break. Proud of you. And my name's Brandon. If we haven't got to meet, I'd love to meet you afterwards. Um, go ahead and grab your Bible, turn it to 1 Timothy. If you just joined us, we're in our 1 Timothy series where we're talking about the church. Um, what does it look like for us to be healthy people, being, uh, being formed into healthy people that ultimately help form a healthy church? Um, and we believe in the local church. We believe the local expression of how God is going to use and reach uh, if with your generation is through the local church. He's done it for thousands of years. And we just think we're getting caught up in this beautiful story of God's grace and his mercy through the local church um, as his avenue to see his gospel go forth. And you are a part of that, um, and you are a part of that movement to see that. And so whether we go to our campuses, or wherever you may go from here, our hope as we send you, this is not some catchphrase at the end of every college gathering, but our hope is that we see you, that you are connected to the gospel. You're connected here to the gospel and to deep friendship, that you are equipped uh, in in what it means to follow, to, to love, to pursue, to have your affection stirred for Jesus, to die to sin, and then ultimately to see you sent from this place as people and men and women on mission for the kingdom, whether that's to overseas, to unreached people groups that have never heard the gospel, that you may get the opportunity to bring the gospel to their ears for the first time. God may be calling some of you in here who haven't even thought about that into that truth right now. Uh, others of you will go, man, I want to be a part of a gospel, new gospel work here that replicates what God has done in me. And I want to go plant a new work in a city on a college campus where other students need to hear the gospel. And you're going to go from there. And there will be others of you that will leave here. You'll graduate. you get a really good job. And you're going to be able to fund all that stuff because you're making a lot of money. And you're going to go, and you're going to be an all-in church member, and you're going to replicate what God has done in you to other college students to see them grown and equipped. And it just continues to go on and on. And the church has been, for thousands of years, God's mechanism to do that. And so tonight, as we get into uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, we have that in our mind. So let me start in. Johanna Shelter um, spent 20 years doing Bible translation among the bungalow people. And they lived in the Philippines mountains. And and listen, this was difficult work for her. Um, And when she came to the United States on her first sabbatical, on her first home assignment, she was really discouraged. And she said, man, I was frustrated when I came home. After five solid years, only two people had believed. And not a very good showing, is it? I didn't know what to do, so I just dumped and laid all of it on my home church, and I found something out. You can't do the job by yourself. You have to have people praying for you. You see, Shelter was learning a really valuable lesson about Christian ministry and about the church and about the corporate body is this, that spiritual work is not accomplished by your own might, ability, or technique, but it is accomplished by prayer. You see, prayer is a really funny thing, In our culture and our society, people pray all over the place. You don't have to be spiritual to pray. Um, You may or may not be. You don't have to even know what you're saying to pray, but it holds a special place of reverence both in the church and, I I think, in culture today. Um, You may pray to the universe, but they pray, right? You're praying to something and asking for something, I mean, think about it. When tragedy hits in our world today, you will often hear on other uh, uh, on, on shows or in the media who would never address religion in any place. Our prayers are with you. Right, you're in my prayers. Maybe when we need to get something, we pray. Maybe maybe this is where you've run into this a lot of times in church. Like, hey, church isn't perfect. We we put that out there. Like. And we screw up and mess up and make mistakes because this is a broken, like, this is a broken place with broken people being redeemed by a perfect father. Like, like there may be places in church where we often run to prayer as a means of comfort or empathy. Um, or you simply just attach prayer, kind of the beginning or the ending of your uh, gospel community time together or around meals or whatever it may be. And the reality is that most of most of our mind is, is that prayer is something that is required, but I don't really know if we understand how powerful prayer actually is and what is the work that is being done by God in this. And I think if we were to be honest, like we know prayer from afar for a lot of us. Like my prayer life growing up looked like this, um, my, my mother would get me up at 6.15 in the morning from the time I was in first grade until the time I was like a ninth grader and just fought her the whole way, right? Like, that's not great getting up at 6.30 for a seventh grader, okay? So I would get in the shower. I would pray some prayer in the shower. I usually repeated the lines. I would go into my room. I would open my Bible, hoping that there would be a short chapter that day. And then she would come in, and we would pray for what seemed like 14 hours, and I always had this one part in the prayer and it was praying the armor of God in Ephesians chapter six, right? So it was a little kid, I'm like, putting on the helmet of salvation and you know, and all this stuff. And and that was my prayer. I couldn't tell you what my mom was praying because I was I knew I'm zoning out, I'm hopefully probably asleep. And then she would hit me. Oh yeah, helmet of salvation. Yeah, breastplate of righteousness, right? Um, some of you guys had this set growing up, man. You kind of grew up in that Christian culture, right? You bought a Mardell or something like that. Um, <laughs> Yes, yeah, you know, some of you guys want to talk about. Others are like, man, church is weird. You know, like, anyways, let me get back on track here. I think there, that there's often a disconnect, right? There's a disconnect, especially in our society, where, where most people, like, if we were to be honest, in a Christian culture, like, we want more out of our prayer life. And the whole here if we were to take a survey, goes, yep, yeah, my prayer life is right where I want it to be. If you're anything like me, it is scattered at best, Right? like I, I journal all of my prayers because I can't concentrate if I just say it, right? I just say the same thing over and over again. God bless so and so and bless my dog and bless and I like I just have the blessings just like gets caught in there and I'm like stop. So I write out my I write out my prayers to kind of keep me focused and if you were looking at my prayer journal it's like, you know, February the 3rd, February 28th, March the 2nd. Like I was like, god, man, what is going on? Like it is scattered at most or Or we want it to be something that it's not, and and we can create this priority list in our head that more than often leans into our own abilities rather than leaning into prayer and trusting God. It's easier in the culture that we live in to lean into in a productive society that where you are measured by your productivity and your efficiency and what you can accomplish, it is easy for those things, even when it comes to spiritual things, for for that productivity and ability to rise above our trust and leaning into prayer with God, and our priorities get flipped. Like if you're wondering, man, why should I listen to another sermon on prayer? I know I stink out. I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. You're just going to shame me in that. No, this is the reason why. is because I think what happens is we don't understand the power of prayer because we just reverse what really we're supposed to be leaning into. Because it's easier to do the checklist, isn't it? It's easier to ride out the checklist of things I need to do and not do. And I can go down that list and I can get all those things done and not spend any time going, God, are you behind this? Are you in this? Where are you? Like, and spending that time in prayer. And as issues arise in the church, and when I think when the church becomes unhealthy, it's often when those priorities get mixed up at a corporate level. Remember, we're, we're healthy. We're, we're being formed into healthy people that are forming a healthy church. And if the people in the church have the priorities mixed up, then we could confuse not just what, what we're accomplishing here, what the goal of the church is. Is this a self-help seminar, right? Is it just to make money? Is it a get-out-of-jail-free uh, car, card? Is it just a get-rich-quick scheme? And on and on we can go, and we get these priorities mixed up as people, and that creates a church that has priorities mixed up. There's a professor, sociologist at Notre Dame. His name is Christian Smith, and he, he talks about this thing called moralistic therapeutic deism. Right? I'm sure you all just read this article the other day. Um, but here's what he would say. He would say, when your priorities in the church get mixed up and the power shifts and the ability shifts and what you lean into shifts, what happens is you have good things that become ultimate things. And so the priorities become things like this. A God who exists and who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Just kind of check in to see how it's going to play out. You have a God who wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other as taught in the Bible. And here's the thing and by most other world religions. Most people will teach, hey, be good and nice. Like, that's a, that's a good thing. Don't be a jerk to people. That's a pretty good thing to live by. Or, or another one is the central goal of life is to be happy, to feel good about myself. Again, not bad, but is that the ultimate purpose and priority? God doesn't need to be particularly involved in my life except when I need him to resolve a problem. Anybody been there? I'm there a lot. Like rarely do I consult God on the day in, day out, but man, when there's a problem, boom, I'm hitting my knees. Or this, good people go to heaven when they die, but I get to define what good is. And the reality is that these things sound nice And good, but it's not what Paul nor the entirety of the Bible will say is the purpose of the gospel, the Christian walk, or the Christian church that is being formed here. So, as we dive into this, let me preface this really quick. We're getting into a chapter that has a lot of layers to this, there's a lot of layers in this chapter. There's a lot of things that are, that are talked about here that can be confusing and have created division in the church. In fact, Peter, will talk about this in 1 Peter chapter 3, he'll be like, yeah, sometimes that Paul guy, he's super hard to read, right? This is one of those times, okay? And so let me just say this from the outset. Uh, this is going to be, I'm not going to be able to hit all of this. Like, there's a complexity to this thing, and I, and I hope that we can provide resources for future discussion, and we're here to talk about these things. But as I was studying and thinking and the Lord leading into this, like, what would be most profitable for us here and now? This, is, this sermon is kind of where I landed. If you want to cover those other things, Emily has written like a 20-page paper. Go talk to her, right? Um, go, hey, I want to read your paper, Emily. And she will say, here you go, right? Um, but here's where we're going to go. Let's get in the middle letter, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul's going to enter into this thing and talk to the church at Ephesus and lay out these priorities that he sees essential to healthy people being formed in a healthy church. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. First of all, then I urge you with all supplication, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceable and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So you're going to see here from the beginning, he uses these, the phrase, first of all. So when he lays out this argument in chapter one for this healthy church and healthy people, he's gonna come into the, the, this gathering setting and he's gonna say, hey, first of all, here it is, fleshing out what it means to go into verse 20 and 21 of the last chapter. I'm sorry, verses 20 of the last chapter. He's gonna say, here's what it means to hold to a good conscience, to faith in good conscience. He's gonna say, it doesn't start with preaching. It doesn't start with strategy. Corporate gathering doesn't start with get a building. The priority is not to have some lights and a good band. He says the priority of the gathering and of the church is prayer. And listen, not just any prayer, evangelistic, outward-facing, God-move-in-our-world prayer. This is the number one priority in the life of the church and the believer to combat those often misplaced priorities and the way that we take good things and make them ultimate, we are called to walk with prayer in the forefront of our mind and not as a last resort. That we are to cultivate lives of prayer and not just lifelines. So Paul's gonna urge that the church, when it gathers, whether that be corporately, whether that be dismissed into homes here, whether that be individually, he's going to call all kinds of prayer for all kinds of people. Paul's priority and the urge in prayer is about advancing the gospel mission. When prayer can easily be monotonous or take a posture Of internal needs, first and foremost, Paul says the church is to pray in such a way that God advances his mission through his people. That God is gonna advance the mission through you and through me. I don't understand that. I don't get that. All I know is Romans 10 says, How are they gonna know unless they hear and blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news? I don't get that, but I know that prayer is gonna give you a catapult for me to go on gospel mission. This is the priority. And so what I want to do real quick tonight, it's not the typical, you know, two and a half hour Brandon Gilbert sermon, but here we go. Three things of why we think corporate prayer and individual prayer is a priority in the church. Why it is a first priority. And so let's look here. Number one. Number one. One is prayer leans into the power of God. If we we're to look at verses two and three here, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful life in quiet life godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. You see, both for ourselves and for others, if we are to compare the typical church experience to what Paul is saying here, much of the difference relies on where our strength is placed, what power we are leaning into. Much of what we do is walk into a church or life in general. Like, this doesn't have to be specific to a church. We want to walk into a place and hear something that's going to make us feel good or maybe even challenged and motivated. And then we want to leave and we want to try to accomplish this on our own power and our own strength, right? Like, this has been the majority of my Christian walk where I struggle with hearing a message and going, I need to do better. If I can just do better, then God's gonna be more pleased with me. If I was just a better preacher, then there's gonna be more people that will come, right? If I just can accomplish this and this in my day in, day out job or in my family, or whatever it may be, and I lean into my own power. And Paul says, if we are truly living out the call to love God and love people, then we will ask God to work on our, on, on the behalf of others and in ourselves, that we may interact with others, that the gospel may go forth, that we would li- live lives that are peaceable and dignified. And here's how he uses this example. He uses this example of power and authority. Nothing corrupts more than power, right? I mean, you've seen the guy who, you know, who's gotten the job, right? He moved from like just... You know, he's just working, now he's assistant manager, and you're like, good Lord, you think you're the president of the United States, right? Like, power can corrupt really easily. And what makes us angry often is when we see that power used in an oppressive way, correct? Like, that angers us. And Paul says the most important and the most valuable thing that we can do, using this example of politics, (laughs) If there's anything more divisive in our society than politics, I'd love to know what it is at this stage in our our country's history. He says, the way that you lean into power of God is to pray for them. Because prayer, prayer softens the heart to see the real need and not simply the outward workings of brokenness. It helps us to see the real need and not the outworkings of brokenness. And when we pray and we ask God to work on the behalf of others, maybe it is those in power, maybe it is those, your boss, maybe it is somebody in authority, your teachers, what, your professors, whatever it may be, and we start to pray for them like it begins to soften our hearts to see the real need. And as we pray, we lean into the power of God and not our own understanding and not our own strength. Number two, because it leans into his power, Prayer will reach beyond what we could ever imagine. Prayer can reach beyond whatever we can imagine. Look at verses four through seven. It's pleasing in God's sight to pray in this way who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher to the Gentiles in faith. Prayer reaches beyond whatever we could imagine because before, listen, before we had all the information that we ever needed at the touch of a phone or a screen, and we could know anything about any place, and we could look and go, hey, where are people located in the world? Prayer existed like the church prayed and sent missionaries and has done that for centuries. Without prayer, we are simply limited to our scope and our understanding, which is is the smartest person in the room is limited in their scope and understanding. But here's the thing, through prayer, God moves and works beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. Hudson Taylor says it this way, Hudson Taylor was a missionary early on to China and he says, when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. When we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. Prayer takes the reliance off of our ability and our strategy because we're leaning into his power, and it places the hope firmly on the one who can move and change and desires it all come to a knowledge of who he is. I mean, look at how this lines up with the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It says, Go, therefore, Preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing all in the name of the Father, making disciples of all. Like there is, a, there is this commonality in all. We pray to this end because we know the gospel reaches beyond ever, whatever we could think possible. Like this is the gospel call. This is the church on mission and motivated by the fact that Jesus died in my place. That amidst all the brokenness and all the ways that I screw up, and all the ways that I hurt, and all the ways that I am hurt, and all those things that God, through in the midst of all those things, has freed me from sin and made me a new creation. Like He has saved me to something that I couldn't imagine. Listen, I think we are so bored as Christians because what we think it means to be a Christian is to come, sit in a pew, read a Bible, sing some songs, and then leave. And what God is saying is, I'm inviting you into something that is far beyond whatever you could imagine. I'm inviting you into an adventure that you can't even fathom. Like, if it were up to me and, like, I was picking the disciples, probably not going to the docks and getting some guys off fishing boats who just got kicked out of Hebrew school. Probably not going after a tax collector who's been robbing his people to go, you know what, I think that, that, that scoundrel over there who's been robbing his own people would be a great person to go and actually preach the gospel to his people. Like, probably not doing that if it, if it was up to me. But Jesus knew, and Jesus in spending time with his father in prayer knew the gospel would change everything. And here's the thing, we can pray as a church, we can pray as individuals to the unimaginable ends that God moves and saves because he has. I mean, I want you to think about some of the things that you've been able to do this semester, like some of the things that you never thought you would be able, some of you in this room thought, I will never be able to share my faith. Like I'll never be able to do that. I'll never be able to go up to a classmate. I'll never be able to go to Walmart on queue and just go up and pray for somebody. But listen, there's a lot of you in this room that are doing that right now. And you are, I've heard stories like, He wants to read the Bible now. She wants to come to church. God is doing imaginable things. You never thought you'd have the courage to lead a GC. You thought, man, you made all the excuses in the world. I'm too busy. I did it before. I got burned. All the excuses in the world. And God said, hey, you're going to lead this thing. And you're gonna be faithful to these 10 to 20 people and you're seeing people changed. And you're having conversations you never thought you would. And look at God, how God has woven your story into the story of others. Like this is the outward facing posture that prayer will take, that God would do unimaginable things. Like, why not through us? Why not through you? Why would God not? And what father, when we ask for bread, would give us a stone? God will do good and imaginable things through us. He will go far beyond what we can imagine. So we lean into prayer because we lean on a God that we can't even imagine what he's going to accomplish. Third and finally is this. Prayer is the simplest step of love. Prayer is the simplest step of love. Of all the forms that love can take, prayer is the simplest. Now, notice what I didn't say. I didn't say that prayer was the easiest step. Like in our sermon lab, we went over and over about that word right there, and we talked it through, and we said, this is it, because prayer isn't always easy, right? Right? Like, like, it's not always easy to lean into prayer. Praying for your enemies is super hard. Praying for people who have hurt you is really, really difficult. Praying for people you don't like, and it can be really hard. But because we lean into his power, because we ask him to unimaginable things, this is the simplest step of activity that we can do. I mean, think about it. Here's what prayer allows you to you. You get out of bed, you get on your knees, and you ask God for what you want him to do in the lives of people, and you trust that he hears and he moves. You see, the church at Ephesus had forgotten this. In fact, this is what's going to happen in Revelation where they've lost their first love. The writer of Revelation, John, is going to tell them, man, you've lost lost your first love. And what had happened was, look at verses 8 and 9. He said, I desire then that in every place, The men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Is that it? Did I have 10? Okay. Thanks, Tank. Sorry. I meant that. It's my fault. Verse 10 says, but with what is proper for women, profess godliness with good works. And I think these are some of those verses that kind of get like misconstrued and used for really unholy purposes. But here's what was happening is that there were men who were entering into theological arguments and getting angry and were not exemplifying gospel change lives, right? Guys never get angry about that, right? Guys never get argumentative, especially about things like sports and that. These guys were just looking for a fight. And so they were taking the fight, and they weren't entering in with love. They weren't entering in with prayerfulness. They were feeling and their emotions. And the women in the church were, were using the service to kind of prioritize their fashion and their demeanor that pointed more to themselves while disrupting the gathering. Listen, ladies, this isn't this isn't like a, you know, just something like don't braid your hair. Okay, that's not what it's talking about. All right. Let me just say that right now. It's like, I like, put my earrings on. No, that's not what it's saying. All right. For this church in this time, at this particular period, like they were, they were taking those things and they were beginning to point to themselves. They were gathering this affirmation of these of these false teachers and they were affirming them to the congregation. And they weren't listening to the gospel that Timothy had. The men weren't listening to it because they were so angry and trying to just win an argument. And the women were affirming it and weren't listening to the gospel that was being called to preach. And so to Tim, so Tim, Paul tells Timothy that to both of them that you need to pray. Because here's the thing, prayer lines us up with the way things should be. Like prayer lines us up with the way things should be. When we pray, we begin to see how God has designed things. We begin to see that God has designed us to commune in relationship with others, to point and reflect to his glory. And when we lack prayer in our lives, when we lack that posture of prayer, when we lack that outward face, it's got to work in on in and on me so that I may be a gospel light to you. When we lose that step of love, what begins to happen is we start to misconstrue things. there's been a lot of things done in the name of love in the church that have not been, that have not been gospel-minded. And Paul says, when we pray in the simplest step of love, it lines us up with the way things are. Like proximity creates empathy. When we posture our hearts close to others in prayer, no matter the relationship, no matter what has happened there, when we begin to posture our hearts there, what begins to happen is empathy begins to come on. And that accusatory nature that all of us, I think, are prone to begins to fade away. And so as the the body begins to pray in its simplest step of love, it begins to get the priorities of what God had said early on, what Jesus says is the greatest commandment to love God and to love people. We begin to line ourselves up with that. We begin to be a light. I mean, you think about the way that Jesus walked. If we were to read Philippians chapter 2, it's like he, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. And he was obedient until the point of death and death in the most shameful way. Like this was his ultimate step of love. It wasn't easy, but it was the path that he was gonna follow. We walk in such a way. We lean into such a way. We pray that God would move and work. And so listen, back to the story here at the beginning that Johanna Shelter, she stayed the course. She stayed the course. She, she came back and there was a young Belong a woman who came to faith. And that woman that came to faith began to help her translate the Bible into their language. And they worked and she stayed and the Bible was finished. And here's the thing, many heard and many believed and many became disciples. You may never have heard of her, But her faithfulness to lean into God when things were hard, to lean into God and into her church corporately and have her church praying for her on the back end, God began to move and work. Prayer is not something that we do. It's not something to check off our list, but it is a part of who we are. It is a part of who we are as believers. It's a part of who we are as a church and as a college ministry. Prayer is a ministry both to our own souls and to the others that are around me. Out of the overflow of what God has done, And what he has called me to, we will pray that God move and he work and we lean into his power and we rise up even when it doesn't feel good. We rise into that and we pray because without prayer, the corporate body being encouraged in prayer, embodying that prayer in this gathering, individually and in smaller gatherings from here, if we don't lean into prayer, we are left to our own understanding and our own ability. And the Bible says there's a way that seems right in the eyes of man, and in the end, everything burns to the ground. But when we lean into that prayer. We invite others into that, and we have outward facing. We've been to prioritize this in our lives. and God begins to work and move. The hope today, listen, is not that you walk out of here and that you feel forced to pray, but that we would recognize it's the first step, the priority that we can take to be obedient to what God is doing in our lives and see him move and work in ways that we can't imagine. So listen, here's here's the call tonight. If you're a Christian, and you've been walking with Jesus for a while, maybe you need to reevaluate why you pray. And what, pl- what place does prayer hold in your heart? And you've been desensitized because you've, you just haven't seen God move in a while. Have you failed to recognize his power on a day-in, day-out basis? Has it just become monotonous in your life? Do you feel obligated? Like in a minute, we're going to have time to pray and line our hearts up with the way things are through singing and through prayer in the back and through prayer with each other. Maybe that's your step tonight. Maybe you're in here and, listening. maybe you've never prayed maybe that's a really scary thing for you, but here's the a, here's a reality. The Bible says that God is near, that, that you can call on him, the one that desires that you be saved. And listen, you can know the beauty of walking in a life that is not changed just to do better, but one that is changed in purpose and priority and identity and fills the void that you've been trying to fill. That Jesus in my place is not something we put on a t-shirt, but it's the reality that he died the death we deserved. He lived the life that we couldn't, and he rose again victorious. My prayer tonight is that you would put your faith and your trust in that Jesus and not some caricature version that we've made in our head. so let's bow our head and pray. Band's going to come up. And as we just linger here in in worship for a second, we're going to, there's going to be ways to apply this tonight throughout worship, and, and maybe you just need to reflect on that as you worship tonight. You need to reflect on prayer and the priority that it has, both for you individually, but maybe corporately. And there's going to be people in the back that will pray. They'll be there to pray with you. Maybe you do just need to sing and worship, and then that outpouring, like just step into that. Maybe there are people and situations that God has brought up to you that he's asking you, hey, will you lay that at my feet tonight? Will you take the simplest step? I'm not asking you to go over I'm not asking you to make amends. I'm not asking you, I'm asking you just to lean into prayer. Maybe that's tonight. Like here's what I know is that God loves and cares and sees and intervenes and knows where we're at more than we do. So God, will you move and will you work tonight? God, as we enter into a time of just reflection and response that help us not leave this place just as another movement into our spring break is another is another activity that we accomplished but god that tonight would be a moment where god you would help us to focus in on the priority of our prayer not just for ourselves but that outward facing evangelistic reconciling beauty prayer that we have prioritized God, will you move and will you work? Will you, God, do what only you can do? Imagine far beyond what we could ever imagine or ask. Will you do it tonight? God, we don't understand prayer sometimes. I confess that so often. It feels like my prayers hit the ceiling and fall back down. But God, will you work and will you move for your great glory and your name through your people that, God, we would be sent from here Seeing those who are often unseen being light for your gospel and being compelled into a joy that we can't even fathom tonight. God, we are are so incredibly grateful for the gospel, grateful for what it does, and grateful for the way that it moves and works. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing. There's space in here tonight just to spread out if you need to spend some time in prayer. There's also people in the back that would love to pray with you if you need that. But let's respond to what God's doing in our hearts tonight. So let's stand and let's sing for his glory, our good.